This is CliffCentral.com. Hi, welcome back to the Daily Maverick Show. You're with me, Greg Nicholson, your host today. I'd like today to discuss some of our most controversial issues in the country, particularly what happened on the weekend with the Springboks, how they lost 57-0. But unfortunately, I don't think we have time for that. So we're going to discuss slightly less complicated matters, hopefully. (laughs) We're going to be looking at KPMG, SARS, ESCOM, Transnet. Essentially, we're going to be talking about the Gupta leaks and some of the issues flowing out of the many investigative reports that have come from there. And with me, I've got Daily Maverick journalist, one of the members of the investigative unit team, Scorpio, Polly Fanfake. How are you, Polly? Hi, Greg. I'm very well. Thank you. I'm so happy that you're not asking me to speak about the Springboks. I know nothing about drugs. We can start there if you like. <laughs> it was atrocious. We can sum it up in, in so many words. <laughs> Let's just jump straight into it, Polly. So... With what happened with KPMG last week, I think a lot of our readers and a lot of our listeners um, on the Daily Maverick show would have seen their statement that came out. More broadly, from all the investigations you're doing and all this public pressure that's coming out, we're really starting to see some consequences um, of all the information that you've revealed, particularly some consequences resulting from the private pressure on from the pressure on private companies. We saw what happened with KPMG. We've seen what's happened with McKinsey. Have you been surprised that these companies have had to act? after all these revelations that you've put out or have we not seen enough done yet or is this simply a consequence of what you thought would happen? No, definitely not at all that it's, you know, too less, um, too little. Um, and remember Balpatinja as well, um, including uh, SAP too. So what happened to Balpatinja is that it, uh, you know, its clients started to flee after a real, real bad reputation that they that they got um, from creating this white monopoly capital situation in South Africa um, and, and really created bad racial tensions. Um, the private sector has clients and shareholders that will inflict pressure and that will tell them, you know what, this is enough. Uh, you're doing what we tell you now. So they have to apply their mind and say, okay, well, you know, we – it's either we lose the money or we go after this one client and we support the Guptas and the Zumas. Um, and it will never happen. And on in the second part as well, KPMG and SAP and McKinsey are international companies that also is subject to the DOJ, the De- uh, Department of Justice in the US and the UK. And they are very, very strict about their corruption laws and their foreign corrupt practices. So there's a two-legged argument here from the one was obviously public pressure uh, that made Bell Pottinger fall. That's creating huge problems for McKinsey and KPMG at the moment and SAP definitely next. And on the other side, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Acts of the USA that can also cause problems for them. But then that brings us back to South Africa and uh, our own corruption busters, um, which is seemingly non-existent at the moment. We were just talking before we went on air about how the president, President Jacob Zuma, has managed to capture key state institutions that will basically prevent any serious consequences being inflicted within South Africa. But let's focus on the big story of over the weekend, and it's still playing out this week. What happened with KPMG? I think a lot of people know it as an international or one of the big international. Is a big four, a big five auditing firm, big four auditing firms around the world. 
you guys managed to link them to a number of scandals uh, in regards to the Guptas as well as they've been linked to essentially what's come out now has obviously been questioned many times, a dodgy forensic report regarding uh, the South African Revenue Service. And I think it was on Friday they put, put out a statement basically dismissing their findings and, and claims about this SARS report that they, they released. They they spoke about some of their... You can go further, further in depth on this. They spoke about some of their relations with the Gupta family and work work that they've done. Essentially, they've been accused of rubber stamping, um, corrupt practices and deals with government. And in this statement, so I think it was eight executives, including the CEO, resigned... They, it was the international arm of, of KPMG, um, severely questioned what the local body and, and their auditors were doing. But in a piece you wrote that came out quite quickly after this, after this response, you wrote that the response was rather weak. Why is that? Why do you believe that? It was extremely weak. And I can say that because I've worked on the SARS matter since 2014. And I've also worked on this matter regarding the Guptas for a while since the Gupta leaks have landed in our laps. So let's start with the Guptas. Um, we wrote a story, the Scorpio and Amabungani teams uh, wrote a story of how loads of money, it was hundreds of millions of money, of rand um, that were earmarked for emerging black farmers in the free state. How that money was taken by the Guptas for the Istina project. Istina was the, the free state farm, ostensibly also used for that farm, but actually laundered through Dubai to companies they have there and then right back to South Africa to pay for their Sun City wedding. Now, there's loads and loads of... This is the wedding that everyone would know where guests arrived from India, exactly. landing at Waterkloof, where... Escorted by by police and VIP security, state security guys uh, up to Sun City. Yes, exactly that one. So it was supposed to be the show of the force. wedding of the millennium. Yes, <laughs> and that's where KPMG comes in again. But just to to take a step back quickly, it's it was supposed to be a show of force for the Guptas and to show the power that they have and to show that they can land at Waterkloof and that they can afford this. And but in the meantime, what we didn't know and what the Gupta League showed us was how the money was laundered through Dubai and it was all state money that paid for that wedding. So there was huge abuses. Many, many laws and, and acts broken or, con, uh, you know, contravened. Um, and then the KPMG CEO, Moses um, Khosana, attended the wedding. And it was also problematic. And in email also that we can trace back to the Gupta leaks, he said to the Guptas, thank you so much for letting us um, or allowing us to attend your wedding. It was the event of the millennium. And the guy really gushed over this fantastic wedding. And naturally, there were many, many questions because auditors should always be independent. And whilst they, you know, you could have made out a case to say he only went to the wedding, but then we also uncovered loads of corrupt practices that the KPMG didn't see. So all of this is circumstantial evidence that really, really put KPMG on the back foot. So just to break it down, essentially what we're saying is this story relates to those government money earmarked for emerging black farmers in the free state. Instead of that, the money going to these emerging black farmers, it went through Dubai, to the Guptas through Dubai, and through their sort of shady companies, funded their wedding. So this whole lavish wedding where they're trying to show have a show of force was sponsored by the free state government, yes. by taxpayers. Exactly. And then 
when it came to looking at their books, their auditors, KPMG, approved these deals rather than questioned them. Yes. And the problem there that was KPMG's real undoing and one of the reasons, I'll come to the second reason, but one of the reasons that I told them that this is an amazingly weak apology was that in the Gupta mails, there were also, there was also a mail uh, written by a junior auditor. And this auditor told them, you know what guys, I don't think we can write off this wedding expenses as business expenses. And they ignored her and they wrote it off as business expenses. So what KPMG came out saying is that they gave uh, facts to a senior counsel and a senior advocate. And the advocate told them that there was nothing that they did wrong. And, and they said, you know, we were misled by the Guptas. We were given wrong information. But we ourselves have no culpability. But they not once in that statement referred to that junior auditor who warned them about the fact. And that is a massive problem and something that they didn't explain to us and that they completely ignored. And surely in their role as auditors, they are supposed to not be misled? Isn't that where, how audit, why auditors come in? To, exactly. To, to approve and check the books? Yeah, they have to question and they have to have a you know healthy, suspicious mind. Um, you, they can't just accept that the Guptas really will give them everything if they are corrupt. And the, another problem that I have with them is, you know, didn't they read the papers? <laughs> we all knew that the Guptas were bad news way before we had the Gupta leaks. KPMG can't say, well, we didn't know, we didn't have a suspicion, we weren't sure, we didn't know where to look at. We just thought these guys throw great weddings. No, man, it's bollocks. Now, let's look at what they did with SARS. This is a complicated story going back a number of years. Mm. And as I was just telling you before, it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of people to really understand what was going on with this SARS report. We know that some SARS leaders... Uh, were hounded out of the organization. We know it really weighed heavily on the form of Finance Minister Pravin Gordon. But can you just give us a bit of a breakdown as to KPMG's role in basically what's being called the capture of one of our key state institution, the re- institutions, the Revenue Service? So, yeah, it is a real complicated story, and there are many, many role players, and I'll try to break it down and leave out as many role players as I can. <laughs> but I would say that your listeners should go and read up on it because it just gets worse, you know, the deeper you dig into it. But essentially, KPMG was roped in by Tommy Yani to... The SARS sort commissioner. Of, yes, um, the new SARS commissioner at the time to confirm Sunday Times stories where they alleged and accused a certain group of people in SARS of spying on President Jacob Zuma, of intercepting communications, which is totally illegal, and of misusing tax information, which is also totally illegal. So all of that, um, in the end, and with hindsight, we know is not true, and Sunday Times had to retract the stories. But at the time, so KPMG investigated, and very soon it became clear that this is massively skewed and there's huge problems with this investigation because KPMG let themselves be told what to do, which is a massive problem. You can't call that an investigation. So what they did is to only do a documentary review. And the only facts that they 
looked at was documents given to them by SARS and SARS's lawyers. So obviously this was a, you know, it was a skewed perspective and none of the people accused had the right to defend themselves, which is an illegal investigation. You can't do that. And one of the burning issues that I've written for Daily Maverick about today is that KPMG was found to have copied and pasted from a SARS lawyer's memorandum sections into their recommendations and findings. But they copied in such a way that there's no doubt that they copied it. You know, they copied it with spelling errors and language mistakes and everything. Like a high school student of Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly. Which is a massive problem because you can't, you know, there's no, then there's no impartiality here. There's no, they, it, it just shows how biased they were in, in their investigation. Um, and in the end, um, KPMG told them, you know, way back then, you know, you can't use this report that we're about to give you and that you are about to pay us 23 million rand for, you can't use it for anything. You can't use it for um, criminal charges, you can't use it for disciplinary charges, but here it is, you know. And that quite showed us how skewed and how really wrong this thing is. So when we forward a, p- a few years, KPMG gets called out by Scorpio and Daily, um, and, yeah, well, Daily Maverick and Amabungani. Can I just go back just for a yeah. second there? Although SARS says that, that this report wasn't used to hound out certain employees uh, of the organization, we all know that much of it was leaked to the, it was leaked to the media. Mm. And there was that, that phrase it had on Pravin Gordon. Yes. Where although it said this wasn't to be used for anything, mm-hmm. it was used to leak to the media. And it said that Gordon should have known or ought to have known about this rogue intelligence gathering unit that was going on. Yes. And we all know what was happening politically at that time mm-hmm. within the ANC where Bravan Gordon was back as finance minister and he was facing very harsh critics who would have liked to get rid of him. And the leaking of this report and particularly this section of the report really pushed the case against him. Yes, definitely. Because just after that case or, or that report was leaked to the media and it was only a draft report as well. Um he became the new finance minister and it was hugely inconvenient for many people on in the state capture camp, especially the Guptas. So they wanted him out at all costs. So what um Commissioner Tomiani did, um Commissioner of SARS, was to lay criminal charges against Private Gordon. And at the time and and uh Monday still at SARS's press conference, Miani said no, it wasn't based on the on the report. He's not speaking the truth because it's maybe not after the criminal charges weren't laid after the report came out, but the information surfaced while KPMG was investigating. So it was in that investigative process that this information, very questionable information, um, came to light and Muyani used as, you know, the basis for his corruption charges. Why would a company like KPMG do this? So let's, if we look at what they, what they sort of did with the Guptas, where it seems like it was either just shoddy work, or I think a lot of people might be asking, were, is there any suspicion of kickbacks being paid? Um, and why would they get into such a dodgy deal with SARS? 
when a lot of people, I think, at least these big, these enormous multinationals, a lot of people think that they have a strong reputation and they should be doing their job correctly. Why, or is there any sort of motives behind why they would do either of these things? I think one can break it down in two strands, you know, in, in terms of the SARS situation. I don't think that KPMG, you know, thought that it would turn out this way. They were given these inf- this information and they, you know, started to use it and, and maybe they thought it a good idea and maybe things developed, you know, it's like that little tail of a frog in the hot water and, you know, as if it's hot at, from the start, it'll jump out, but the, if it eats Gradually, you know, it, the frog might stay. I think the exact same thing happened there with, with KPMG. And when they realized what they've actually done and the massive reputational damage that they've caused themselves, um, they suddenly had a fright. And that's when they gave that clause and said, you know, you can't use this report for anything. In terms of the Guptas, um, there's a very good reason why People these days say that auditors shouldn't be allowed to audit the same company for 10 years. Um, and much has been written about it in Financial Times and, and the uh, finance magazines as well. Um, you start to look over, you know, you, you know these people so well that you, and they become your friends and you talk to them almost every day or every week. And when you have to audit them, you start to look over the mistakes, not necessarily you know, willfully, but sometimes by accident. And and then you get this junior auditor who doesn't know her place in the world and she tells you, but this is not business expenses, this is wedding expenses. And you say, oh, you know, we can let it slide, let just let it go. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a place for, for, you know, realizing that KPMG, some of them, um, of the auditors could have made a mistake, but then there's definitely also that element where you say, you know, you should have known better. You should have known that this is illegal and this cannot, this will never fly. It seems that with a lot of the reports, uh, you've been doing the Scorpio along with Amo Bungane, some of the other, other uh, work that's been coming out from different media houses seems to suggest a real problem with these huge multinationals coming into South Africa. The case might be more complicated, it seems, with KPMG, but with some of them, when we mention uh, McKinsey or SAP, it seems they come in, look for a potential contract, or even the Chinese, some of the Chinese firms have reported on. They come in, look for a contract, look for a local partner who will perhaps, who's politically connected, who will take a slice of that contract, which is likely then to be inflated to account to give them that sort of, that sort of finder's fee or kickback, if you will. Do you, is this the sort of systemic trend you're noticing in a lot of these companies? I think Pravin Gordon, when he was talking about KPMG this week, he said that their behavior seemed very colonial. Is this something that seems to be a bit of a crisis in the country? Yeah, definitely. And I think it has been, you know, with without, uh, you know, wanting that to happen, our BEE laws almost made it um, happen. So a big company like McKinsey or SAP or, or KPMG would come in and they would need, they would want to tender and do work for our government. Uh, but you can't if you don't have a BE partner. And often these BE partners available are the very connected ones like mm. the Guptas who became like toll keepers. Um, and they would partner with, with these ostensibly, you know, well known companies. 
um, and the well-known company would do all the work, but they would get 70% of the total fee and a, like a 30% kickback would go to the BE partner, not for much work, which has happened exactly in the, in the case of Trillion and uh, McKinsey. McKinsey um, was writing stories about that Amabungani and Scorpio, um, and we've delivered part one in it where we showed you know, how that contract was set up and how problematic it was and how Trillion was sneaked in, you know, almost by the back door. Um, but there were always these people that was also the enablers. So in, in Eskom and Transnet, where Anush Singh and Brian Mulefi at the time were CEO and CFO. Uh, so it's almost like a tripartite alliance here. You know, the enablers in, in their sta- uh, state-owned companies and the private companies, internationals, and then our BEE companies, all working together you know, to fleece government. Let's move on to SARS and delve into that a little bit more deeply, what happened this week. So I was in Pretoria yesterday at the press conference, but I haven't covered SARS like you have or Marianne Tam at our office has. After the hour of waiting, unusually for SARS, it was an hour late, this press conference, which shows that likely something's already up. I sort of sat there and I was thinking, this can't be quite true. It seems like we're being bullshitted to if anything. Now, you were watching it at home and seeing Commissioner Tom Moyani, they're responding to the KPMG allegations or the KPMG statement that came out last week and we just spoke on. What were you thinking while you were watching this TV at home on the Don TV? Yeah, it was totally ludicrous. I was sitting there and I was thinking, how can you make a logical jump like this? Um, in the first instance, what, what struck me is that he said, you know, KPMG is trying to show that SARS's management is corrupt and they are witch hunting Gordon and people that was kicked out of SARS. And I thought, you know what? KPMG said a lot of things and they did a lot of wrong, but they never pointed a finger in the situation to SARS. So how did you make that illogical jump? And in the second part is Tomoyani said that he believes and he well, yeah, he believes and he thinks that the KPMG report is still intact and it shows exactly what it needed to and it's factual. Even though KPMG said, you know what, guys, sorry, you can't use it anymore. And they wrote the report. Yes, <laughs> they were the authors of this report. So it was it was so ludicrous in a, in a stage where KPMG would say, sorry, we messed it up. And Tom Wiani said, no, you didn't. <laughs> so there's not much to say about it. It's just totally wrong. And at the same time, there was this bizarre thing where they're, they're criticizing KPMG of attacking the leadership of SARS and having an agenda, yet they're trying to stick with their report. And it was just, it just seems so confusing, this whole thing, and so contradictory, everything that they were saying. What do you think Moyani's game plan was? Well, that's what my story would be about today. Um you have to stand back and look at the bigger picture. If the KPMG report falls, the prosecution and the persecution into Pramon Gordon falls. There's nothing left without the KPMG report. If that doesn't stand and if that doesn't accuse Pravin Gordon of impropriety, then there's nothing left to throw at him. We already know 
that Flock Symington came out and said there's a plot against um, Pravin Gordon, like is Muyani. There's a lawyer for SARS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was this lawyer who was in the SARS hostage drama um, involved and, and where Tom Muyani's own bodyguard kept him in a boardroom in, in SARS's Kanyisa building. So we already know that Flock Symington said Tom Muyani is, you know, is at the head of a plot against Pravin Gordon. And that, um, you know, there were this, these allegations that Pravin Gordon illegally assisted his pal, which was at the time the deputy commissioner of SARS, Ivan Pillow. Um, he helped him in his pension fund and he were irregularly paid. Um, so f- the Flock Symington situation already cancelled that and showed us it's not true. And it was one of the findings in the KPMG report. So the only thing that was left was, uh, the central, uh, uh, the project Sunday evenings where, um, you know, it was the spying and, and spy looking at NPA's offices by SARS and SARS officials, um, which if true would be totally illegal. So if KPMG now withdrew all of that findings and the facts that the findings are based on as well, then there's nothing left for Tomoyani to, to pursue. Let's look at a make the picture a little bit bigger again. If there's nothing to pursue against Pravin Gordon, what does that mean? I think Muyani actually succinctly put it. He said that KPMG is making out, uh, uh, you know, making the SARS management out as being corrupt and and involved in a witch hunt, and that is exactly what it shows. It shows that all of this is flawed. The charges were trumped up. The facts were tweaked and massaged until it fitted the outcome that they wanted at the time. And there would be nothing left to accuse Pravin Gordon of. Let's even go one step bigger. What does that mean for your average South African who pays taxes to the South African Revenue Service and the functioning of SARS? Well, at the time, um, you know, after 2014, the end of 2014, when Tommy Yanni came in and in December 2014, when Ivan Pele and a lot of really, really good people in SARS were pushed, pushed out up towards middle 2015, you know, there was a complete brain drain in, in SARS. Um, and it continues to this day and where there are people pushed into really senior positions now who are, you know, they, should be criminal charges against some of them. Um, many of them can't do the job. And the rest, you know, would tell you there's this culture of fear in SARS. So SARS has real big and deep-rooted problems. And it shows. The tax ombud just said to us that they withheld the tax refunds illegally. And in the second instance is we know now that um, they missed this quarter's tax target by many billions of rand. So... Essentially, what we have is SARS is being mismanaged after a campaign, a political campaign, it seems, to to purge the institution of, of a certain faction or, or, or perhaps you might, you might want to say a faction that's just trying to do their job or be professional. And in the process, people aren't getting their tax returns or re- refunds like they should be. On the one hand, and on the other hand, government isn't taking in enough revenue to actually fulfill its budgetary expenditure. That's exactly what's happening. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Daily Maverick show on Cliff Central. I'm here with Daily Maverick journalist, Paulie Fenveik. 
Bolly, let's move just a little bit more because we don't have you for too long today. One of the most interesting things that I've been reading about in the Gupta Leaks is you guys cover so many different state institutions, companies, time periods. It's so wide-ranging. But I'm very interested in the stuff around Transnet. So I think you've spoken about three very, very sort of big, um, I guess, deals where the Guptas acted as intermediaries and took a cut uh, from from quite large Transnet contracts. There was the first one, I think, that actually came out on one of the first first reports we did on the Gupta Leaks, which was about the locomotives. And there was billions that they looked look like that they were able to siphon off of that contract. Then we had one come out this week. Are you able to just give me a bit of a rundown as to how much money the Guptas might have made out of these Transnet deals, at least that how much we've reported so far, and how how these sort of kickbacks work? That is such a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary that we don't even know yeah. yet in terms of how, how much that they might have been able to make. I think it was in the first report, it was something like three or five billion rand of, yeah, of being able to, just about, just to, to work with a Chinese billion. locomotive producer. Yeah, it's massive. The, the money that they managed to siphon off is astounding. Um, and what's, what's really concerning is how with, you know, with the ease with which this happens. Um, and then you have, again have to look at the enablers. Um, at Transnet at the time, CEO was Mulefi, Brian Mulefi, and CFO was Anush Singh. And when the same thing happened in Eskom, it was the same CEO, the same CFO. So what would happen naturally is that, you know, one of the schemes, for example, would be that there's a Chinese company, like in the latest Transnet story that we wrote, they want to sell us these cranes. And these cranes would be extremely expensive and we mm-hmm. wouldn't really need them. These trains are, you know, they or the cranes aren't what we need for the job that we need them to do. So the cranes would be um, hugely expensive and they would come from China. And then the Guptas would tell them, you know, you can sell them to Transnet and we will help you with a tender and with a contract so that you can win this very expensive contract. But you have to give us a cut. And so the Guptas almost became the, the gatekeepers and the toll collectors. And in each deal that they would put together, they would get a huge cut. Like from the last story that we, that they we wrote. Mean, yeah, they, uh, it seems like 80 million US dollars went to them for doing nothing, just for exerting power on Transnet, saying these will be your partners and you would want these cranes that you don't really need, but you would want them and you'd pay a huge amount for them. When we look at the figures involved in the Transnet deals, they're astounding. And now we have multiple reports and the stuff you guys are putting out are very, it's very detailed. We've got people who are named. We know the different companies. We know, we know where the, where the offshore sort of companies have been and in some cases how the money is moving. At what point are we going to, if we're just sticking with these, these transnet deals, or even if you want to take it broader, at what point might we see some sort of accountability enacted on those who've received kickbacks or, or companies like the Chinese companies involved haven't seemed like they've taken any pressure and wanted to act on this. Or, on the other hand, when will we see any sort of consequences for key officials at institutions like Transnet? How, how long will it take to get enough information for real consequences to be laid? Or 
do we have to wait until a stage where we have a different leader of the NPA or a different leader of SAPs and the Hawks? Let's be very clear. There's loads of information. What the Hawks and the NPA should have done the moment the first Gupta League story landed, they should have said, we're subpoenaing all your computers, you're giving us access to your emails, we're freezing your bank accounts, and we are doing a thorough forensic investigation into you, and we're putting together a stellar team that will work on this night and day. What happened in the meantime, I can promise you, is that the servers were either taken, you know, offshore, or the, uh, all the evidence here were destroyed. Um, we definitely know by now that all the, the, um, the, you know, the money trail is, as there's loads of time to have wiped all the tracks that they needed to. And also to prepare the Hawks and the NPA for what's to come. And while the NPA and the Hawks tell us, you know, we don't really know if the Skipta leaks are viable and if it actually show facts and if it's legal, you know, what they could have done was just to subpoena the Guptas' own emails or they could have subpoenaed the journalists. And obviously we wouldn't give it to them because we're impartial, but, you know, they there was just no action here, which showed that they didn't want to investigate. They didn't want to prove anything. They didn't even start on it. That's the one thing. Um, so in South Africa, I think we all know that our justice system is severely corrupted and we will definitely need some action but i don't think it will come from from here i don't i think most possibly the u.s and the uk will act first and in terms of the international companies it's very clear to see where the most strict uh, justice departments are you know the chinese companies don't do anything most probably because they know no, it's okay. We won't get in trouble. Whereas McKinsey and Bal Pattinger and SAP and KPMG has jumped to this high to ensure that they comply and that they suddenly say, okay, we made these disclosures and you know, don't come after us. On a different level in terms of consequences or, or taking action on these issues, we have a, have a tweet here from Alistair McAlpine who asks, how can we, the public, assist in the project to reclaim our country? How do we put pressure on the captured? Well, I think our people did so well with the Bal Pottinger um, drama. You know, if if South Africans, ordinary South Africans, didn't speak up and say, not in my name, this is enough, you're not going to use our country's pain to create a racist regime and a racist campaign against us. If it weren't for that, then we wouldn't have had Bal Pottinger having to say, okay, well, you know, we were wrong and we're letting in this in being investigated. Um, the rest of the situation is, is perhaps a little more problematic. <laughs> um, you know, you can't make the Hawks and the NPA work. You can't tell them, you know, this is how you must investigate. But we can still exert massive pressure on, on the corporates and then also on government saying, you know, not in our name. This is not going to fly um, and we need some sort of action from you. Polyfan Fake, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for all your great work as well as for coming into studio. Thanks. You've been listening to The Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. You can tweet us on at DMShowZA as well as download, share the podcast. We'll see you next week.
CliffCentral.com. This is CliffCentral.com.